is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 122 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jamie Albright, and we're going to be talking all things smoochy smoochy, sexy sexy. It's all about romance writing today. But first, to last week's question, which was, what is your inner genius? Not too many uh, responses to this, a little bit of uh, chitter-chatter in the uh, Patreon Slack group, but we did have one comment from Amazing Gaming Productions on Instagram who said, my inner genius is my empathy. Even though I know my characters only live in my mind, when I talk to him or her and we're about to go through a difficult scene, I'm weeping for them, telling them it's going to be fine and that things will turn out all right in the end. Unless it doesn't, because the character is on a toxic negative arc or tumbling down greater darkness. I love that. And I I might have to ask that question, like how many of us do cry or feel emotions like when we're writing? Because I... I don't have empathy as one of my uh, Clifton strengths. And I know that uh, if you're a patron and you're listening, there's a bit of an in-joke that everybody now needs to drink or have a shot because I've like mentioned bloody Clifton strengths again. But um, I don't have empathy. And yet uh, occasionally, wait, hang on a second, because if I admit this, then everyone's going to know that I'm not dead on the inside. Guys, listen, I am still dead on the inside. But like occasionally, like I feel stuff when I write stuff. And if anyone uses this against me, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> Anyway, this week's question is, how are you advocating for your creative self? So the reason I ask this is because I think it's really important that we have our own back. And that means sometimes we have to pull up our big girl panties and we have to do the scary or difficult thing. And sometimes that means negotiating on a, a contract or negotiating on a speaking fee or it means we have to raise our book prices or it means we have to say no to somebody so that we can take that time to write or it means that we have to say no I'm sorry I need to do research or I'm going to read this evening or whatever it is I wondered I want you guys to think about how you are advocating for your creative selves and then let me know because it's important Okay, the book recommendation of the week this week is Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, Release Your Money Blocks and Live a First Class Life by Denise Denise Duffield Thomas. I listened to this on audio. It's a little bit woo-woo, I won't lie, but I kind of like a bit of woo-woo every so often. Um, there's a lot of like positive feelings. Oh my God, we are. this is just like the theme for this week is feelings. Guys, I, I swear, I don't have any, okay? I swear. Um, but yes, so the book is a little bit woo-woo. Uh, it, look, it talks a lot about manifesting and positive mindset and uh, really framing things in your mind to change your vibrations and make sure that you are... Um, calling money to you and all of that good stuff. Look, basically, I I am really on a mission to increase my turnover this year and profit, of course. And so I am trying to fuel my mind, my energy, my soul with lots of positivity around money. And I find it uncomfortable. Like uh, I, I listened to Rachel Heron's amazing podcast the other day uh, where uh, it, it's one of the more recent ones. So she did it like a roundup of what she earned last year. And I was so inspired. And so 
Like, I wish I had the confidence to talk about money like that. And that is something that I aspire to and that I would like to do. I am not ready to do that yet, but I am intending to. Like, I I would like to give you guys an episode on, on like, what I earn and where it all comes from. I'm not there yet, but um, maybe, uh, maybe I will be one day or soon. And uh, yeah, like, definitely inspired by, by Rachel Heron's uh, podcast. Actually, I will put a link to that in the show notes because um, it was fascinating she is both uh, traditionally published and self-published and um, she has multiple, multiple, multiple streams of income. So yes, it is fascinating and I do um, recommend that episode as well as the book, which is what I'm supposed to be recommending right now. But yes, I also recommend uh, Get Rich Lucky Bitch. Okay, so in personal updates, <laughs> well... <laughs> It has been a week, let me tell you. Uh, So I am on a mission, as I've already said, to increase my turnover, grow my business, increase my income. To do that, I, um, my my coach, my strengths coach, basically asked me for a business plan for how I was gonna make the extra money. And it's not a little bit of money, it is a big chunk of money. And so I um, dutifully did that, I sent it off. And then realizing how much fucking work was involved in it, I rather rapidly decided I needed to outsource um, a bit more. So I spoke to the ever amazing, ever lovely, and just, she is just the most lovely human, uh, Becca, uh, who is the the VA for this podcast. And she has very kindly agreed to take on some more hours for me. And we are doing some uh, like one-off projects, which are really kind of like, upgrading everything, looking at metadata and making sure my prices are standardized. I am going to be raising the prices on uh, some of my books, this kind of stuff, Um, uh, updating new files, all of this stuff. And then we've also got a whole load of like business planning stuff. But I wanted to make sure that uh, like the, the publishing house side of what I do is in order before I, you know, put sales on or do, I don't know, publish more stuff or, or whatever. So this week has been quite heavy brain work because we have had to put systems in place, create like templates and spreadsheets and systems and ways of working together. And it's hard. Like when you have been the only person growing your business all this time and you start outsourcing things, like I I definitely used to be more of a control freak than I am. And now I really value being able to free up time so that I can do the creative stuff. Um, And I really value how amazing Becca is because she loves the type of work that I don't love. So we make a great team and like, (laughs) if I haven't said it already, I really fucking love Becca. Um, But yes, so basically um, we have had a big old chat and I created lots of things that we're going to do together. I don't want to go into too much detail. Um, But yeah, so I am outsourcing a buttload of uh, additional work and things will be changing on the back end of my business quite a bit. Um, So yeah, I, I don't know how much more I can outsource, but I will just continue to keep outsourcing so that I can free up as much of my time as possible to do the important stuff, which is record the podcast, write the books, create the courses. Um, So yeah, I think uh, that's probably it on the business side. On the personal side, 
my son has COVID. So that's fun. He tested positive this morning. Thankfully, he's absolutely fine. He does have a little bit of a headache, but uh, Calpol, sort of paracetamol, ibuprofen stuff for kids knocked that on the head. Um, we went, uh, I went and also had a PCR with him this morning. My wife can't have a PCR because she had COVID within the last 28 days. It's just the fucking month for it. <laughs> um, so yes, I am negative. I was negative this morning on the lateral flows. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I have to wait. We have, I think our PCRs will come back tomorrow. Um, yeah, I mean, I have now been exposed, I think like three times directly to COVID and I haven't picked it up. Um, that said, I think, because my son has got it, this is the most likely chance I, I have of picking it up because obviously I am not going to stop hugging my son or being near my son. So, you know, I'm assuming, well, I'm going to tell myself I won't get it and try to manifest that, but you never know. So next week might be a very different podcast, but fingers crossed. Everybody have their fingers crossed for me that I don't pick it up. Um, and yeah, I'm just very grateful that kids uh, are very resilient and he seems completely fine. So, uh, I mean, he was coding on his bloody computer this morning. He's now playing on his Switch. So, you know, he's mostly delighted that he doesn't have to go to school <laughs> so kids they're amazing man seriously um so yes uh what else am i doing oh, so many things this outsourcing is requiring require requiring require require <laughs> what is the word requiring oh my god <laughs> this outsourcing needs <laughs> This outsourcing needs me to do a lot of work in order to enable Becca to do a load of work in order to enable me to do a load of work. So there's a bit of flip-flopping around. and uh, But I think what I'm going to do is slap on a out of office next week because um, I need to finish Trey. Uh, my, my promise to myself was that I was going to get it done before the end of the month. It's going to be difficult now with the kid off school, but I'm going to give it a bash anyway. Um... So, but in order to do that, I'm going to have to kind of not do anything else uh, because it will be literally editing on mum time. So I will probably be not very accessible over the next week or so. Um, and then I will be moving on to doing a course and the next nonfiction book and uh, that will be early February. So yes. Okay, I think that's probably enough from me. Um, I am going to do the Rebel of the Week. So the Rebel of the Week this week is April Jones. April says, my hubby has a rebellion for you. Not sure it's appropriate or not, but here it goes. I'll set the stage for you first. It's a small town with disgruntled cops. Late at night on a school day, he'd he was driving a loud muscle car. He gets pulled over by the cops who love pulling teenagers over because they could be smoking pot. It's late, so he's tired and the cop inquires, my, you sure do have some bloodshot eyes. Have you been smoking anything lately? Without missing a beat, he looks the cop dead in the eye and says, no officer, your eyes sure are glazed over. You've been eating the donuts again. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness me, your husband has balls of steel. <laughs> Most he did that. Um, yeah, wow, that is very cheeky. I love that rebellion. Um, 
If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. I think we had two rebellions come in this week, so thank you for that. But of course, we still, I mean, we have less than, I think, six in the bank. So there's only six weeks of rebellions left. Uh, so please do send in your stories. Um, they can be anything. It can be anything. It can be a big rebellion, a little rebellion, a little cheeky rebellion. It can be a middle-sized one. It could be like April, you could send in a rebellion from your husband or your or your spouse or your wife or, or or a brother or a sister. Um, you can send your rebel story to Becca and Sasha at rebel. Uh, so the email address is rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. No new patrons today, but a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really, really appreciate you. You guys help to keep the show running. You help to pay for my time to do it. You help to encourage me and make me feel like what I'm doing is, is having an impact and helping you guys. So thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as random bonus content or joining the Slack group or being part of the Rebel Readers masterclasses, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by the ever amazing Kobo Writing Life. So I'm going to play a word from the sponsor and then we will get on with the episode. Hey Rebels, we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. Kobo Writing Life was built by authors for authors and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. One of the ways we're doing that is by giving you the chance to reach subscription readers by opting your titles into Kobo Plus. Kobo Plus is our subscription program, which offers thousands of titles in an all-you-can-read catalog to readers in select countries. It's currently available in the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, and Canada with plans to expand. Stay tuned for that. Authors can opt into all territories or pick and choose as they please. It's really important to us that authors retain complete control over their work, which is why we will never ever ask you to be exclusive. You can opt your books in on a per title basis and continue selling them on all other retailers. Kobo Plus helps get your books in front of a new audience of subscription readers who are a different audience than our typical a la carte readers and allows you to earn money on top of your a la carte sales. Authors get paid for every minute spent reading, including rereads. So opt your books in now and reach even more Kobo readers. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com slash writing life. Now back to Sasha. Happy writing. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jamie Albright. Jamie is a born and raised Texas girl and is the multiple award-winning author of the Brides on the Run series and the Small Town Royalty series. Both are fun, sexy, snarky, and laugh out loud. If you don't snort with laughter, then she hasn't done her job. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. I um, do a lot of podcasts, but I was just kind of nervous before I got on. So I'm very excited to be here. But oh, in a no, good don't. way. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, anticipation. Yeah. 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 don't be nervous don't be nervous although I say that and that's kind of hypocritical of me because I always get yeah. nervous anyway <laughs> none of us are, like, like most of us are introverts so it's always scary yeah. meeting like well not new because I know we've met before but um mm -hmm. you know still it's it's still it's a lot I think yes. um okay tell everyone a little bit about your journey like how did you get start started writing and and sort of what happened to get you to where you are today 
Okay. Um, so I write romantic comedy and um, steamy romantic comedy. And I started writing it when I was just before I turned 50 because uh, it was my reading buddy's birthday. And I was trying to do something meaningful for her. And I'd never written down the stories that I always made up in my head because my grammar's not great. But I was thinking, Jennifer doesn't care if I have bad grammar. This is just, we read a lot and it was just, it would have been meaningful. And I wrote, started writing, wrote myself in a corner very quickly with that book because I really didn't know what I was doing. But not all of it was horrible. And so I told her, you know, I was going to write you a story. And she was like, well, now you have to. So I started working on um, what was my first book, which is Running from a Rock Star. And um, didn't really do much with, you know, I would write and put it away and write and put it away. And then my computer crashed and I lost it. And I was like, well, I'm not a writer anymore. You know, it was just for fun. And then when I turned 50, I told my family, the only thing I think I regret is not finishing that book. And of course they said, well, you can do it again. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not starting over. And um, a few months later, my daughter came in and said, mom, I think I have your book on this flash drive that was in my car. No. And it was about 20,000 of the 30,000 words I'd written. I know, crazy. And so I dusted it off as best I could. Um, and actually had somebody else look at it. And she helped me a little bit as far as just like, so I wouldn't be completely embarrassed if I showed it to anybody. And then I joined Romance Writers of America and started a critique group and they kicked my ass from here to Dallas uh, just because of grammar and, and story stuff. You know, I didn't know how to write a romance. I had read romance writing for dummies, but you know, there's only so much you can learn there. And, um, but they taught me to write. They, they did their best with the grammar, but six months after joining that um, group, I won my first contest with that book even though I only had like, you know, 20,000 words written, you only had to have like the first 5,000 or something like that. And I sent it in and won the contest. So that was the Romance Writers of America contest that they had. And the editor that read it said, oh, I really want this book. And I was like, funny thing, it's not really done. And and thank God it wasn't because I would have given it to them and because I didn't know any better. And then um, continued on with that critique group. Three of us broke off and kind of did our own thing, but we were really serious about publishing. I wrote a short story, uh, not a short story, a novella, Christmas novella with my, one of my critique partners under a different name. And it just, you know, you put it up and it doesn't go anywhere. And you're like, what the heck, you know? And um, I, that's when I started trying to learn about indie publishing because we did indie publish that and how to get your book seen. And how, and I went to indie publishing boot camp. I mean, I started listening to podcasts. I went to a conference like five months after that. I didn't, my book wasn't, I was going to put it out probably after that conference, but decided but based on the things I heard and the advice I got to wait and I spent a whole year just learning indie publishing and I really think that that's why my books have done as well as they've done or or 
you know, I, I feel like I've written good books, but also I, I set myself up for success by doing that because I also had a newsletter, uh, 1200 person newsletter before the first book ever came out. Yeah. And that's all because I learned that in my self-imposed indie publishing boot camp. Do you, I know that you are a, uh, a Becca, uh, you're in Becca's arena and yes. you've done your strokes. Do you have strategic by any chance? I do yes. not. Uh, you don't? Oh, I'm, no, I know. Funny enough, I think it may be in my top 10, uh, but if it is, it's like 10. It, oh, okay. I'm not terribly strategic. And people always say that. I just think my fear of failure was so high that I was doing everything I could to do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, my number one is activator. So, you know, oh. it's a wonder I was able to wait. I know. Yeah, that me. is like incredible. Me. I know. I know. <laughs> it killed me to wait. But I think that it was because... Again, I I had put a book out and it had just done nothing. And I did not want that. I had worked too hard on this book. Also, another reason I chose to go into publishing is because I was 53 when that book came out. Like, I don't have a lot of time to go back and forth with people and, you know, do the whole editor and, and querying thing. And that was kind of the same thing with this, you know, with my my journey to indie publishing, like I wanted to hit the ground running. I wanted to make, give this book as the best shot it could have. Never really thinking I would write more than two books. If you want the truth, I just didn't know this if I could. And so, you know, seven books later and I'm, I'm doing okay. You know, so <laughs> it worked out. Well, um, I wanted to take this podcast kind of in two halves. The first one was to talk about romance. Um, And then the second one was to talk about your business model. Because I've I've heard you speak. I can't remember where now, but I remember listening to you. um, It feels like a while ago, but time is a bit of a lie. So maybe it wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that you are writing in romance, which is sort of, I suppose, under you know, rules or conventional expectations, mm-hmm. a faster paced genre, but that yeah. you you publish at your own pace. So that's sort of the second half that I want to talk about. Okay. But okay. the first half I want to talk about is about romance. And yeah. so I would love to know, we sort of talked about it offline that you are mm-hmm. a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. So like, what are those fundamental elements of a successful, really good romance story? Well, first, I'm going to say that I think it varies for everybody. You know, I think there used to be these hard and fast rules uh, set out by organizations like Romance Writers of America, and then they were tied to the publishers. But I would say that for me, a good romance has tons of tension. The conflict that rises and rises and rises until you almost burst. And then, you know, and even if even if sex is introduced early in the book, that the sex complicates things even more, you know, and um, so you still have that rising tension and um, great characters, you know, I mean, characters that people just really can fall in love with and. Um, you've got to make them likable, even if they're unlikable. I mean, it's basic storytelling, you know, and, um, but for romance in particular, and you just have to have that really satisfying ending, you know, the one that just gets you right in the heart. And uh, so those are the things that I think are really important in romance that, 
you know, just keeping that tension going, you know, till the very end. And also why this person is the only person in the world for this person and vice versa, but they can't see it. And you have to, as you're going along, I'm moving my hands. As you're going along, you're kind of piecing those puzzle pieces together so that at the end you have, you know, this beautiful picture. And I think, yeah, like I, I have a love hate relationship with tension because like, oh, it drives me wild. Like, but that's what I go for. Right. Like I, I, I go berserk because I'm like, I just care so heavy, you know, but like, I, know, I, know. I don't really want them to kiss because then, it, you know, then, they, then you get some of that tension release. But um, so, uh, yeah. What, what advice would you have for listeners um, to create better tension? Like, how do you build attraction with your with your characters? And like, how do you build and layer that into sort of that sexual tension and intimacy in the stories? Um, I think the best one of the best ways I've found recently is I use the Enneagram. Graham, uh, Claire Taylor uh, does a whole thing on this. And um, that's helped me because I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagram. I'm not great at it, but, you know, there are nine um, types and they're in a circle. And, you know, you know, if you're this, then this is the opposite or these are the pairs that would. And so but whatever you use, if you use archetypes or whatever, you try to get those people that are it's interesting, like they have the same wound and the same thing would heal them, but not, but they don't see that. Like they're, they're almost opposites, but it kind of comes together that way that, you know, as you're healing one of their wounds, the other one is healing as well. And then you take them through. Of course, I have pretty wounded characters, even though I write rom-com and I get, um, sometimes I get dinged for that, but that's really kind of the only way I know how to write characters or real people that have real problems and you know um but my advice would be just really layer in those things that would attract and then like I do um like little touches or like I don't know there's a there's a um Grey's Anatomy um that I always think about Grey's Anatomy episode where I can't even think of the characters, but they're not supposed to be, you know, they're keeping, oh, I think it's the. Um, is it Doc McDreamy I, and Meredith? It's by not McDreamy and Meredith. No, it's Meredith's best friend, whose um, name I cannot think of. It. Christina Yang. Christina Yang. And then the redheaded Scottish doctor. The, he, and they've yeah. gotten together, but nobody knows it. And they're walking down the hall and they brush hands against each other. And the camera zeroes in on that. And, I don't know. Like I got a little flitter in my stomach when that happened because it's just so intimate and it's so um, it's kind of delicious. And, and, you know, Theodore Taylor's um, book on uh, universal universal fantasies, it's that kind of thing. You know, the, the things that kind of make you go yum are the things that will make your readers go yum. And so you layer those things in to create attraction between your characters. Yeah, I actually listened to the episode that she was on that your podcast, mm-hmm. the Wish I'd Known mm-hmm. Then podcast, and I thought it was excellent. And uh, I have read the book as well. And uh, yeah, I, I completely uh, agree. And it's funny, isn't it? Because intimacy smacks of like, you know, 
well, I suppose on the outside, we all see intimacy as like being naked in bed, but really yeah, yeah. it's not that at all. Like intimacy. Doing it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bang in. <laughs> It's really not that though. No, it's not. The things that uh, that are the most intimate, I suppose, are the vulnerability and the, you know, and and the thing that's vulnerable about that, that hand caress is that, you know, if they get caught, they could be in trouble or their friends will find out. And so, and yet they want each other enough that they are willing to, to take that risk for each other Mm -hmm. um, in public. And I suppose it's, it's that, that kind of thing that, um, that um yeah yeah creates that tummy flutter um so like you mentioned that your characters um are wounded can you um yeah I'd love to know a bit more about your characters like maybe a couple of examples or yeah like tell me about some of your characters how you use those wounds or create them for the for the characters okay um in um I think the place that did it the best and most unexpectedly is in my second book. Um, In the first book, the hero is, he's this high-powered entertainment lawyer. He's very cocky, very, you know, and it's, so the second book is a enemies to lovers. She's also an attorney and she hates his guts and, you know, and, but he's all about the car and the money and the suit and the whole thing and what we find out is he grew up dirt poor like at one point his family was homeless yes oh god when i figured that out when i figured that out i was like how can i make him because most people liked him but some people didn't because he is really cocky in the first book and i when i figured that out like it was just that warm honey feeling all over my body. I was like, I've done it, you know? And then um, in Homecoming King, which is the first book in my small town royalty series, he is a professional football player, but he grew up on the wrong side of the track. In fact, he says, my family didn't just grow up on the wrong side of the tracks. They blew the tracks up and then took the scrap metal and beat, beat the hell out of somebody with it because they were just really the bad people in town. And then his dad, uh, you know, his, his dad and his uncles were killed in a car accident and they were the bad ones. And his, he and his mom were still treated badly. You know, like people would watch them when they came into stores and stuff like that in the town. And then, so his whole thing is the only thing he's worthy worth anything for is football. You know, that's when, when he was able to throw, you know, a 50 yard pass, then that's when people started treating he and his mom differently. And so that is something that he clings to, even though it's, it's really hurting him. The football in its of itself is hurting him in the, and, um, but he clings to it like crazy because it, he, that's what he finds his worth in. Oh, I love Those that. Those are just two examples. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that though. And I think that really puts it like into context as well. And I I also like had the whole honey feeling because I was like all yeah. in on, on the cocky lawyer now, like especially yeah. when you yeah. know the background. Um, oh, what was that I was listening to the other day? Oh, Lisa Cron on um, Joanna Penn's podcast was talking uh-huh. about how important backstory is. And mm-hmm. that just goes to show that's the perfect example mm-hmm. of how your backstory just made that character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I love that. What, uh, what, like, what are your pet peeves or like, what do you think are the biggest mistakes that newer writers make when trying to dive into the romance genre? Mm. Um, 
you know, I said, some of these may be pet peeves that really successful romance authors do. They're just not what I love. Like, I don't love Insta love, but that people love it. I mean, they love it. I don't love it. I like to see that build up and that, you know, that tension being built. But Insta love is great because you can do all kinds of things with it too. Um, but I see, what I see is one, um, sex for the sake of sex and not moving this not moving the story forward like if you're going to have sex in a book in a romance i feel like it should move the story forward just like everything else in the book it shouldn't just be like the story is going along stop we're having sex and then we move on like that sex didn't affect anything it's just sex for the sake of sex um and i um i also think that they don't um they don't, I feel like the pacing is usually um, hard for newer writers. It would have been, mine would have been a disaster had I not had that help that I had. Um, but just learning how to pace the story and make it um, flow so that you're, you're yanking the readers along like they can't put the book down like endings ending chapters on a hook um leaving people just wanting more they just have to read another page and I think that's just something that you have to learn as you go along and mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that I had somebody say no that's this isn't gonna work you have to do better and do you know teaching me to do better I also think that they don't do enough um they either do too much like backstory and then they dump all that in to the book or they don't do enough and so you've got these one-dimensional characters kind of going through the story that it's hard to become attached to because we don't know them and so those are a few things so Instalove, I'm going to ask this stupid question. I'm assuming that Instalove literally means they come onto the page and they fall in love instantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Or Instalust, which I'm okay with Instalust and I'm okay with sex. Start, I've started a book with sex, you know, myself. But but there just has to be more than that. And if and I find that people that start with Instalove or Instalust when it's like this, they the good ones take that and then crank up the, the tech, you know, the, the tension and everything. But a lot of people that try to do that, it doesn't go anywhere. There's just no place for that story to go. Mm. So my favorite, you have to be careful with that, you know, yes, you, you just do. Have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I am. Um, uh, I, I was thinking that my, like, cause I love enemies to lovers, but I also like mm. rivals to lovers. Um, and I didn't yes. know, know there was a difference, but there is a difference. And mm. uh, yeah. So I recently learned the difference. Between, I actually think my favorite is rivals to lovers because you mm. tend to see the competition. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I yeah. just realized it's cause because like, <laughs> you're never one. Yeah. <laughs> It's unbelievable. Oh, oh, we all are. We all are. Let's just move on from that, shall we? <laughs> but yes, I love that too. Yeah, yeah. I love that too. Okay. So, so will they or won't they is yes. really my favorite part yes. of a romance. And yeah. 
and like when you go in and you absolutely like and you read the first two or three chapters and you're like I know who the lover is gonna be but mm-hmm. like there's just no possible way that they can be lovers mm-hmm. in those first like few chapters and right. then you're like right. how how is that you know and that's what mm-hmm. keeps me going right. so yeah I much I I think that means I also don't like insta love yeah yeah but I mean there's some really great insta love books uh some of my friends write them and they are fantastic but they've done it right if you don't yes, do exactly. it right yes. you have a very flat book yeah yeah um okay so everyone knows that humor is tricky to write um mm-hmm. but what romantic comedy is a really really popular kind of like secondary category of mm-hmm. romance um yeah. and I know that you like to make your readers laugh so I do if a, if an author would like to sort of lace in comedy into their writing mm-hmm. how how on earth do you do it effectively mm. that's you know that's a hard question for somebody that writes comedy and does it intuitively because i am a bit of an intuitive writer but but um and i don't always hit the mark i mean i try uh, really hard but what i would say is one don't always go for low-hanging fruit. And don't get me wrong. I will go for low-hanging fruit if it's there. You know, if there's a dick joke to be made or, you know, something like that, I will make it. But I don't do that all the time. You know, I try to make um, my comedy smarter than that. And so a lot of times what I will do to layer in comedy is if I have a scene and I'm like, or I'm even trying to write something funny and it's just not, or it feels boring or whatever. I will flip things. And as an example, in that second book I was talking about where he's poor, they, they lose all their money. They lose their phones. They can't get in touch with anybody because, you know, nobody knows anybody's phone number anymore. And they've lost, they've gotten robbed by pistol toting grannies. And so they don't have any, I know it's crazy. And, and, uh, but so they see a sign that says, you know, uh, it's amateur, not a strip club. And he looks at her and she's like, no way. And he's like, listen, that's fine. You don't have to, but we're going to sleep outside. And, and she's like, I don't know why that is what set her off, but that's what set her off. And so, um, but when they get there, you know, she makes up her mind. I'm doing this. We, you know, the, the next day they can get in touch with somebody, but they can't right then. And, um, they get to the strip club and they're looking around and she's like, wow, the men here in this county are pretty open-minded. There are a lot of women here. And then it hits you. It's, it's ladies night. So she's not the one that has to strip. He has to strip. Amazing. And, <laughs> and it, but I flipped it because the whole time I knew I was going to have that scene. Like I knew I was going to, they were going to be stranded. She was going to have to strip, but there was something in me, like my little feminist heart would just, was just going, no, not that there's anything wrong with stripping. I'm just saying that I did not want, there was just something going, that just seems so easy kind of thing. And then when I thought, no, I'll flip it. And he, he will strip. That is the surprise. And that's the thing with comedy. Comedy is always a surprise. It's what you don't expect that makes it funny and it makes you laugh even if it's uncomfortable for you even if it's not something you like your taste in laugh you know your taste in comedy if it's a little raunchy or whatever you still laugh a lot of the time because it's so unexpected and that's the thing uh, 
that's the best thing about comedy. If you can surprise people with something funny, um, that's always the best. People will remember that. And actually, that scene, that that strip scene, is the most pop, one of the most popular scenes that people talk about all the time um, in my books. Another is with the first book is she's she starts talking about she's trying to keep her aunt from talking about something sexual or in front of her fake husband and who's a rock star and she is making biscuits and she starts talking the longer she talks the more phallic it becomes and it's just and she's like the good girl the Sunday school teacher and she cannot stop like she cannot stop and (laughs) and I wrote that scene probably 10 times getting it per you know like what I heard in my head on paper because you know you because she's talking to herself the whole time like why can't you shut up and people talk about the biscuit scene all the time and um but it's because it's it's a little embarrassing it's a little surprising you don't expect her to do that and um so yeah that's that that would be my thing flip things around try to go for the surprise don't go for low-hanging fruit all the time think about situations and that you've been in or, or you've seen like in movies or whatever, what made you laugh about that? And then try to incorporate that into your story. Yeah. I love it. And I think that is so true. And even if you like, you can always go back and like edit in a setup, you know, like, so I'm sure you had to set it up that they thought she was going to have to strip. And then it turns out that it's, Oh yeah. It was a whole thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. She has this whole moral. I mean, not that she's morally opposed. She's just, she's feministically opposed to doing this, but yeah, she will do it. So they don't have to sleep on the street. And, yeah. Um, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That, that's sometimes that's it is the, sorry, I was just going to say no, sometimes no, it's ahead. the setup that, that really yes. like helps to make the, the, mm-hmm. the, the punchline, so to speak. Right. Land. And that is the thing about comedy too. It's almost like a mini story within a story or multiple mini stories. Cause there is the setup, the mid, you know, it has a beginning, middle and end and the payoff the better you set it up, the better the payoff. And I mean, you have to make payoff fit the setup, but, and you can make that like throughout the whole story. There could be something that runs through the whole story. So. Okay. So, and, and I'm hoping you're going to sort of have some answers on this because you've, you've alluded to the fact that you do this kind of anyway, Um, but you mentioned Theodora Taylor and her excellent Mm -hmm. book, which everybody calls universal fantasy, but it's not, it's actually seven figure fiction. Seven figure author. Yeah. (laughs) yeah, She should have, she should have named it universal fantasy. Um, (laughs) But uh, tropes, happily ever afters and happy for nows are critical Mm -hmm. in romance. Um, But, you know, lots of people, you know, I, I spent a long time, I haven't gone through them all yet, but I watched a lot of the 20 books to 50K. I've, I've you know, mm-hmm. read the universal fantasies and everybody talks about putting a spin on tropes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think in romance, there are, you know, there are a lot of tropes in romance that people mm-hmm. love, but how do you keep them new and fresh? How do you do these twists on common tropes? Um, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to talk about that. Mm. Um, well, I hope I do a twist on common tropes. Oh, gosh, I kicked my desk. Um, I, um, I usually layer tropes. That's, usually how I 
try to get beyond just the one trope and then, you know, it kind of being a little bit cliche. And again, because of the humor, there's usually a surprise. There's usually a twist to, the, to it, you know, um, in, in the, my last, my latest book, he's, it's a enemies to lovers kind of story. And um, he thinks he's gotten rid of her. Like she's a client and he thinks he's gotten rid of her and he's driving away. He's so mad. And the next thing you know, she's stowed away in the back of his car and pops up. And so, and now he's stuck with her because he is a good guy. Like, you know, so it's, it's enemies to lovers, but he really is a good guy. And he doesn't, he knows he's been like not nice to her and he doesn't know why. Well, he, he had, it's because he really likes her and he doesn't want to like her because she's reckless and everything. And so a lot of the ways that you can make a twist on a trope is by layering your tropes or just by the character's characteristics. Like that's the whole thing about character development. Like, you know, you have the cocky lawyer, but he really has a super soft heart and, and this really embarrassment about the way he grew up. And, um, and so that makes him interesting. And so really it's the, to me, it's the characters that make tropes interesting and not the tropes themselves. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. It does. It does. I was listening and, and trying to like process and intellect on what you're saying. And like, it almost comes back. Like it, we were talking about like surprises and twists in um, humor and mm -hmm. stuff, but mm -hmm. it kind of feels like even with tropes and even with even with characters, everything is juxtaposed. So you've mm -hmm. got the cocky lawyer, mm -hmm. but actually, you know, kind of, hurt and ashamed on the inside mm -hmm. which is almost mm -hmm. like this opposing like yeah. shame yeah. and and cockiness and mm -hmm. um yeah so like layering the tropes does make sense especially if you can yeah put some kind of exactly it's I, I spoke to this lady recently um about uh um, no, I'm gonna get it wrong. Uh, finding your genius on that, like your, mm -hmm. whatever it is on the inside that's genius. And mm -hmm. she she was talking about Carl Jung and how he talks about the shadow, like the dark self, the, mm -hmm. the, the shadow mm -hmm. self. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that the things that you fear most like the things that you fear people will see you as and so mm -hmm. like one of the things that I'm afraid of is that people will see me as boring or they'll mm -hmm. see me as a failure so mm -hmm. the opposite of that is that I rebel against everything and do mm -hmm. like crazy wacky things and I strive for success always mm -hmm. number one mm -hmm. competition and so mm -hmm. it but those two things that failure and boring are mm -hmm. like the polar opposite they are the juxtaposition to who I actually am and so right. yeah that makes so much sense like I'm just kind of piecing it together even like with normal like human psychology and mm -hmm. stuff. it makes mm -hmm. like it makes so much sense so yeah, yeah that really helps thank you well good uh, the uh, one of my critique partners one one of the main people that taught me how to write said um Think of the one thing, the one thing that your character would never do. And if you're writing a romance, you get two people. So the one thing they would never do and then do that to them over and over and over again. And so in that book, the second book in the Bride series, he has to take her to this shack of a house he used to live in. He finds out this 
thing about his family and then they go on this crazy road trip and so it's like all of the things that he's kept so controlled and confined to preserve this image just keep crumbling away like every time he thinks he's got his footing under him it falls out from under him again because something else happens and so and that is what the heroine is seeing and that's how you get from enemies to lovers to lovers because if you just stayed enemies to lovers the whole time you wouldn't even have a you wouldn't have a book you've got to bring them together and so that's how she falls in love with him so yeah is seeing all of the things that he's afraid to show ah mm-hmm. oh, i love it okay um in romance there is mm-hmm. a term called a grand gesture could yes. you explain what it is and how writers can get it just right so i know that there's a lot of talk around not being not doing too much not doing too little not making it a cliche so like mm-hmm. how do you actually land a grand gesture well what is it and how do you land it uh, the grand gesture is what happens after the hero or heroine realizes they have really screwed up. So it's after the dark night of the soul where they think I've lost it all. And then they get this glimmer of hope and no, I can get it. I hope I can get it back, but I have to prove to them, her, him, that I am worthy or that I see them. And I think that's it more than anything that I see them because in my books in particular, um, because that's really all I can speak to is that the, the, moment is usually when they you know they retreat back into their selves they're not being honest they're they've retreated back into this wall that they've hide behind and they are not seeing the other person like they were you know they had almost gotten to this point and that's the whole point about love that you meet this person and you come together because you see each other you know and you still love them even though you see you know see the things about them so anyway um so that's what the grand gesture is and it's different for every book it's if you write dark romance it's gonna be different than if you write romantic comedy I mean it's just different but you know it when you see it and uh sometimes it's just super obvious like in Homecoming King um he puts up a billboard for her <laughs> I mean it's it's a it's part of the story and you would see it so there's this giant billboard that's a giant grand gesture however when I wrote it and sent it to my editor she was like mm. he was pretty crappy to her she she forgives him really fast in this you need to make it harder for him so I did and it was a really good lesson because um I think that's where people fail sometimes. Like they've had this big blow up where they can never be together because they've said horrible things or done horrible things. And then somebody does a grand gesture and the other person falls at their feet and goes, okay, I'm so, I forgive you and I love you and let's get married. But in real life, that's not how things work. I mean, you have to prove, you have to let that person know you've wronged them and that you know you've wronged them. And this is how I've wronged you. And I'm so sorry please forgive me kind of thing. And I use that a lot in my books, the whole please forgive me, because I think that's important. I think it's important in relationships. I learned that a long, long time ago that just saying I'm sorry doesn't really do it in a relationship. You really do need, if you've done something really, really rotten, you really need to ask for forgiveness because that mends that relationship. That's just me and my theology, you know, my kind of life theology kind of thing. But um, I, 
I really believe in that. So <clears throat> do does the apologizing character is it kind of like the hero sacrifice in that they have to almost do something that they wouldn't normally do in order mm -hmm. to show that forgive forgiveness is mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. okay yeah. yeah um I was trying to think I was thinking like in Notting Hill like oh my favorite movie <laughs> oh is it yeah I love Notting Hill um I was trying to think and I was sort of going blank because it's the other way around isn't it she does the mm -hmm. grand gesture doesn't she on the well she it... does and then he rejects it he rejects so she brings him the painting ask him to you know, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her and he rejects her the grand gesture is him racing across town to the that's it you know they go to the savoy first yeah. i don't know if they're at the savoy i can't remember anyway and then getting in there and standing in that mass of journalists and putting himself out there because that's what even though she sort it that's a great movie because of the twist mm -hmm. because she's sort of the one that has hurt him throughout the movie but he's the one that really destroys her yeah, mm -hmm. uh, because she really lays it out there the whole time he's protected himself. Mm -hmm. And so and that's even what he does when when she brings him the painting and ask her, you know, ask him to love her. Um, he's still protecting himself. So when he goes and stands in that room of journalists and then stands out and asks these questions, he has dropped his, you know, the facade and is really putting himself out there for her. Mm. That, uh, is just, yeah, that is a grand gesture yeah that is a grand gesture and and yeah I like and and I think that's why I was I couldn't quite remember what it's been at least a year since mm -hmm. it was on mm -hmm. at Christmas hasn't it so yeah, you know I'm yeah. doing a rewatch yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah exactly. yeah I was like yeah there is some kind of sacrifice that the person has to make so yeah I love that we we use that example um, or like when um excuse me but like in the proposal um is her that Sandra Bullock Sandra Bullock and she get, tries to get the um, her she wants her assistant to marry right. her so that yeah. she can stay in the country or whatever and um, he her grand gesture comes at the black moment where she kind of gives up everything and you know comes clean and everything but then his grand gesture is he comes back for her like he comes for her in the middle of the office and everything in front of everybody where he's talked about her in a bad way and now he's proclaiming his love for her you know yeah is that normal for there to be two grand gestures one from each character not necessarily no no not necessarily uh really it's the one that screws up the most yeah. and and it's usually like in, in my books, both characters need to grow. Like both of them have a journey, but one has a bigger journey than the other. And one comes to their, to the realization, they kind of come to this healthy place faster than the other. And um, so in um, the first book, Rocks, uh, Running from a Rockstar, she's the one, you know, she's the small town Sunday school teacher worried about what everybody thinks. She's done this crazy thing by marrying this rock star in Vegas. Then he follows her back to Texas because he, she left her underwear with her name written in it. Anyway, because <laughs> in Texas, that's what we do. Um, so, anyway, but so the whole thing, the whole movie, she's trying, she's still trying to protect her reputation 
And um, so she's the one that has to make the grand gesture. However, he's the one that shows up, but it's because, but it kind of works out perfectly because she's already made the decision and he hears her make the decision to go back and find him, you know, kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I, I would say there's usually one person that comes to health, mental health <laughs> or health in the relationship faster than the other, usually. Okay. In my right. books, so- anyway. So I want to move on now to publishing and success and business and Mm -hmm. and kind of your business model. So Mm -hmm. um, I I did do a little sniffing around. um, Mm -hmm. And am I right in thinking that your business model is KU, but Mm -hmm. not what is, I guess, typically classed as rapid release? Um, Yeah, yeah, you could say that. Okay, so I had a look and it it looks like you publish sort of two books a year. Is that about? No, no. One book a year. Okay, so Amazon is lying on those days. Well, yeah. Now, the first two were six months apart. And then the next one is was almost a year. It was like 10 months or so. And then the next one was a year. And then the next one was a year. Okay, so that kind of bucks the common advice and and sort of uh you know this is what success is yeah um so what do you think were the most important factors in your success um I think that one is by far the newsletter that I had built before the first book came out because when that book came out there were 1200 people waiting for that book because I had used a preview of the book to build the newsletter and it was just kind of a fluke thing it was also one of the benefits really of spending a year in the community building relationships and learning and I was working for another author a romance author and I mean, I was in a promo, I got like 80 names, but then the romance author I was working for, she was like, why don't you put your preview in, in this promo I'm doing? And I was like, are you sure? And she was like, yeah. And so I did. And that's where I got the other 1100 people. And those people wanted that book. I, and I started my newsletter, like the day I got those names, six weeks before the book came out. And I just started sending them funny stories and you know, to let them know that's what they were going to get from me. And then the second thing is that I do, like, I send a newsletter. This month has not been very typical, but at least twice a month, even between releases, I send a newsletter every two weeks, just, or twice a month, and just checking in, telling funny stories, you know, doing something, giving giving value if I have, if I know people that have free books or, or, uh, you know, KU books that are coming out or something like that. Okay. And um, how long was that preview? Was it like a big chunk? Three, or? It was three chapters. It was all, I wow. know. Okay. But it ended on a big hook. And so I was really lucky that, that that's just how it turned out. Um, I also run ads, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's another way that I keep things going. Um, but yeah, it, it would be a lot easier in a lot of ways if I wrote faster. I just, it's just not my process yet. I'm not saying it never will be, but it's just not my process yet to write faster. And do you, um, do you predominantly do Facebook ads? Do you do book ads? Do you? Facebook. Yeah, Facebook. Facebook. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, um, (laughs) I just, I find it so interesting that, 
there is no one path to success and it really pisses me off when everybody's like you must rapid release Mm -hmm. you have to write fast Mm -hmm. you have to write in this genre and you have to do Mm -hmm. these ads because it's just bollocks like there Mm -hmm. are for every person who rapid releases into KU and spends two thousand pounds a day on Facebook ads there are you know half a dozen other people who've done it a completely different way and and don't do that and so yeah I think it's really important to share those authors Mm -hmm. um like Mm -hmm. on the show so that listeners don't think that if they can't write you know a book a month that they're never going to have success because you absolutely will be um and I think the other thing that you said that's really important is what you do with the newsletter and the fact mm-hmm. that you are cultivating relationships there mm-hmm. and giving value just by telling funny stories and mm-hmm. and are they funny stories from your life are they from the characters are they uh usually from my life uh, it was hard during 2020 because I couldn't get out and embarrass myself in public so I had to come up with some other things uh but yeah I mean I in fact I just told the story on TikTok that you know it's like how do these things happen to me I don't even know I don't try, you know, they just weird, funny, awkward things happen to me. Um, but I feel like, yeah, that, and then I have a, I have a Facebook group that I keep people plus my readers. know they're not getting a book. I mean, they're, they want it. They're really sweet about it, but they know. And I've just been really lucky that when I put a book out, you know, they come back and they buy it. I mean, and uh, they tell their friends. And so, each release has been better than the last. Um, so, you know. And so let's talk a little bit about that inter intervening time. Um, mm-hmm. You've mentioned that you um, like email your audience mm-hmm. to kind of maintain mm-hmm. that relationship. Are that, do you still grow your mailing list? How do you do that? Like, do you, what kind of stuff do you do yeah. to keep your Facebook group engaged? Like, mm-hmm. how do you sustain that over the course of 10 months or a year between releases? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do grow my email list. I have a freebie on my website. Uh, there's freebies and, you know, there are um, signups in the back of my book. I give away after the first bride's book, I give away a um, uh, extra scene uh, to get people to sign up. And it says, if you want to know what happens to Scarlett and Gavin a year later, it involves a hot rock star, a naked trip to the barn and the Baptist preacher click here. <laughs> so who's not going to click there. And, uh, so they sign up and so those kind of in the background, my list is growing all the time. And then I do an automation system for each list that I have, you know, cause I just have mine broken out cause I got to see where everything's coming from. And, um, and so they get the automated so they can get off if they want, if they just wanted the freebie, they have time to get off before they're, you know, on my list too long. And um, so that I do that. I, run some promos you know during the um, year with my freebie or I'll do a free run of of my backlist you know I'll space those out and with every every you know every book that's sold or every book that's read there's the potential to get one a new person on my list um and then what was the other question? I'm sorry. Um, um, so I think I was asking sort of what you do in the, in the 10 months in between. And so, yeah. And then in my Facebook group, I'm just in there. And then I've recently gotten someone to help me in there. So she posts something every day. I go in and comment and stuff, but I'm not posting every day. But if I do post something, I always comment, you know, to, to the people that, um, 
comment back and um you know, I've, I've, on holidays, I've give, done a free thing for just my group or just my list, you know, my email list and um, stuff like that to try to, you know, just keep them engaged. It's it's hard. It's hard. It would be a lot easier if I wrote faster, I will tell you, because yeah. it's just hard. It is hard. I, I am... Um... I have too many things. I think I, you know, I have mm-hmm. like Patreon and I have a Facebook group and I have Instagram yeah. and I, yeah. I always find that when I try to sort of engage with one, I end up slipping and like, well, I have to yeah. then go back and try and engage with the other one just because yeah. it is very so hard. Much. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. hard. It is hard to try and juggle mm-hmm. that. And I don't think anybody really has the right answer unless you've got, you know, you can afford loads of assistance to, to, yeah. but then I don't really like the thought I, I have a I have a, a virtual assistant who helps schedule things, mm-hmm. um, but I still do the commenting. So if mm-hmm. someone's commenting with my name, it's me that's commenting. Unless yeah, I me too. But, you know, I mean, she just posts like mine will post just something every day to get to to keep engagement going. Yeah, we started it before the last book came out to to help. You know, just. Like, people are more likely to read a book if it's recommended to them by somebody else than they are to see an ad. And, and we wanted to build that up, like really kind of rally the troops, get them like excited and involved. And so we started before she, she contacted me. She's one of my listeners. She was like, it just, it makes me sad that I don't see your name like mentioned with other people's names because your books are funny like theirs. They're, I mean, they're just like theirs. And I found out about those people through you. And so she said, we need to get your name out there better. And so, and it has helped. It has helped. And it did help a lot during the release, but it's just hard right now. Um, 2020 was okay. 2021 has kicked my behind. Um, it's just been hard. You know, I mean, I'm still making a living. I'm still making what I need to make, but it is not it is not easy. I'm pulling out all the stops and doing all the things. And um, so, you know, it's gotten harder. The market's just a lot more flooded. Uh, I think because of TikTok, YA and dark romance have become really, really popular. Uh, reverse harem, dark romance and um, rom-coms are not slipping. They're just not getting the visibility that they were getting at times. So, mm. I mean, I'm not blaming anything. I'm just saying, you know, the market shifts and that's just how things happen, you know. Yeah. It'll I think swing the back. YA one is a funny one because there's sort of, there's traditional, I'm not, I don't mean traditional as in traditionally published, although a lot of YA is still uh, dominated by trad publishing, mm-hmm. but sort of traditional YA 14s. And then there's like YA that the adults are reading that are sometimes mm. slightly not really mm. quite YA. Mm. Um, right. exactly. And the, the, yeah, like, and so there's kind of this mishmash of what YA is mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Um, and I'm definitely one of these 30 year olds reading YA. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, Me too. Uh huh. I just love Not that. 30. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, well, I had the pleasure of being on your show a little while ago, and I will leave a link to that episode in the show notes. Thank you. And your podcast is called Wish I'd Known Then. So I could not ask you the same question. So what do you wish you'd known before you started writing, you know, kind of slash publishing? Um, 
how bad my comparisonitis would be. I did not know that I would do that. I really have never really been a person that compared themselves to other people. Like I had a friend, we used to live in Austin and another city in Texas. And uh, she, we had this one couple friend and she's like, they're just perfect. They're just, I'm like, they're not, they're not. I mean, I don't know what they have going on, but they have something going on because everybody has something going on. You just have to know that. And I've always known that. I don't know how I've just always known that. But when I started publishing, I did not realize how bad the comparison artist would hit me and how it would affect me. And I think if I had been more mentally prepared for that, um, I might have, to, I might have weathered a few emotional storms better. Um, it, it really has derailed me at times because you know, just looking at other people because you only, there's a saying that says, you know, it's not fair to compare your insides to other people's outsides. And that's what you're doing when you're comparing yourself to other authors. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what they have going on in their lives. You both on both sides, like if they're not doing well or they were and they not aren't now, or, you know, you just don't know. And um, it really hit me hard um, in 2020 really hard. And I didn't expect it. It was the weirdest thing. So anyway, that's what I wish I'd known. Do you, do you have competition in your strengths? I do. It's, it's in the top 10. It's in Interesting. The top 10. Because <clears throat> so, yeah, the reason I'm asking is because comparison Compa not comparisonitis necessarily, but comparison is meant to be generative for mm -hmm. people with high competition. So it's interesting mm -hmm. to hear that um, it still has that darker side because I know mm -hmm. that for the most part, and it's not always, for the mm -hmm. most part, I will see someone succeed and I'll be like, that's wicked. I, now I'm going to go and do that and it, right, use right. it as a as a generative thing and then every so often there will be something that will just like come in from left of field and just bam take out my legs and I'm like ah you know yeah exactly exactly <laughs> like the end of the world what's the I know. point I might as well just quit you know like <laughs> really. and it's usually people that are publishing really fast and you know I mean I'm not gonna do like my life is not really set up to do that. I mean, you would think I'm an empty nester, but it's not because I have, well, that's one of the things I've learned over the past year and a half, two years, almost, um, you know, what's important. And, and that has helped the comparison artist, but that also, tr it triggers it sometimes too. So, yeah, I don't know. It just really has, also, I'm an extrovert, and so the last two years have been really hard, or year and a half, has been really hard for me. I, I have lost a lot of energy. I've lost a lot of just that connection with people that gives me a ton of energy. I don't, I haven't had it, and so that has undermined a lot of, and I think that's what's made it worse, but it's still there. It's, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always, I am always happy for people. I mean, even people I don't necessarily like, I'm like, yes, I mean, if you can do it, then that means other people can do it. And, um, and that it's possible. I mean, if you want to work that hard, it's possible. Um, uh, but yeah. 
the one of the That's things the that hardest. I do um is I choose the field that I'm stepping onto and I Mm -hmm. refuse to step onto the rapid release field like Mm -hmm. that's not what I want to win I have got no interest in winning that game um because like you that's not going to make me happy like that's going to make me exhausted and I want to spend time with my son whilst I still have a shred of energy. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't have many shreds of energy, but yeah. I have some yeah, right I now. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I went from one grandchild to six in a year. Like I have six. I know. Exponential growth. <laughs> I wow. Kids. Um, yeah. Um, so I have other things that are really way more important than writing. I mean, I love writing and I love publishing and I love my readers, but if it comes down to a battle, uh, my family's going to win every time. Yeah. And you so, need to win on the Nan field right now. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah number yeah. one. Nan Coco. Right yeah, yeah. Coco. That's what they call me. Coco. Oh, I love yeah. that. My mom. So <laughs> random story. My grand, my great grandmother was called bye bye because every time uh-huh. my dad would walk in the room, she'd go bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> My my grandmother is Jewish, so she's called uh, Bubby. Uh-huh. My mum is called Barbara, so she is called Barba. And oh, so I, I like the generational like down there. Yes. So I have decided that if my son has kids, I'm going to be called Bam Bam because how could I not continue the tradition? How could you not? Yes, how could exactly. I not? So yeah, exactly. I love that Coco. That's so lovely. Um, I can't believe we've come to the end of our conversation, I but um, <clears throat> thank you so much for your time today. And before you. you go, this mm-hmm. is the Rebel Author Podcast. Yes. So can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Um, I have two things. One is Excellent. writer related. One is not. When I was in the eighth grade, I'm a rule follower. Like I've always been a rule follower, but I was in the eighth grade and me and a couple of other people got it in our brains that we needed to have a sit-in. So after lunch, we can, I'm number one, I mean, number four, woo, four. Yeah. So I convinced my eighth grade class of a hundred people, we need to go sit on the football field. When that, when the bell rings, we go sit on the football field. We don't go in. And they all went. I'm like, what are you people doing? Follow me. So we all go and sit on the football field and the scariest teacher there comes out there and she looks at us and she goes, babies, you better get in that school. And I mean, it was like, we just scattered and we ran and we, we all got in trouble. And that in Texas back then you got licks. Like they, we got licks with a paddle. Yeah. All, all hundred of us got licks with a paddle. No. goodness So that was, that was my one real rebel moment is just as a child. And then the second is, I think my second is really something that I've, part of what I've learned over this last year is that I don't have to make all the money. I just have to make the money I need and, and what my family needs. And I can do that without making myself crazy, without chasing the rabbit and, um, you know, putting out stories that my readers really love and uh, writing for my readers and the readers like them as opposed to someone else's readers who may not like my stories. So that's, I think the biggest rebel mindset shift I've had is that I don't have to do that. I love that so much. And that's sort of where I am going next year. Like mm-hmm. I will run my nonfiction business because that brings mm-hmm. in my money and mm-hmm. I'm going to write the young adult 
lesbian romance stories because I fucking want to and I yeah. need there you know there's such so few books out there for for teenage lesbians mm-hmm. and and I didn't have them when I was young mm-hmm. and I I wanted mm-hmm. I I you know I was such a book worm and mm-hmm. I think yeah I don't know I just need to write those stories for those kids who need that need those stories yeah. and I don't care absolutely happens, so absolutely Ah, oh, amazing. Thank you so much. Would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, your books, your podcast, anything else sure. that you would like to add? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Amazon or jamiealbright.com. Uh, I'm on all the social media except Twitter. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I mean, I have a Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. Uh, lately, I've been a lot on TikTok a lot, Instagram and Facebook. Um, and... You can find the podcast at Wish I'd Known Then for Writers Podcast. And we um, we just had our 100th episode, so it's been very fun. Um, we love our podcast. We love doing it. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's that's where people can find me. Yeah. Fantastic. And I will, of course, leave all of those links in the show notes. Thank you. Well, thank you. And of You're course- welcome. This has been super fun. Oh, good. Um, and of course, a massive thank you to all of the show's listeners and the yes. show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Jamie Albright, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm talking to Paddy Finn, and we're talking all about Kickstarter for indie authors, how you can use it, what it is, why you maybe should use it, and uh, yeah, how to run a campaign. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.